Well, good morning once again. I want to just welcome you one more time to our service, and I want to take just a brief moment at this point in our worship this morning to welcome those of you that may be visiting with us for the very first time. If this is your first time at Grace, we want to especially welcome you. I had an opportunity to meet a couple of you uh, that are here for the first time uh, before the service, and we especially want to thank you for joining us today. There is in front of you a QR code. It's printed on a card that looks like the one behind me. And I would invite you, if you are here visiting today, uh, take a minute, scan that with your smartphone, and it'll take you to a place where you can answer a few questions uh, for us so we can better connect with you and get to know you a little bit better. And uh, we would invite you to do that, as I always like to think about this, if you don't know how QR codes work, we have plenty of 12-year-olds around that will show you, and they're very, very talented at it. But maybe this isn't your first time at Grace. Maybe you've been coming for a period of time, and maybe you've been here for a very long time. And uh, there is some information you would like to pass on to us. We have recently updated uh, the link where the QR code takes you, and there's some more questions on there of ways you can get involved here in the ministry. Uh, matters like Connect Groups, which um, uh, was mentioned already this morning. We would love to see each and every one of our folks here at Grace connected to a Connect Group and involved in that. Primarily, they meet Sunday mornings at 9.30. And as was mentioned, I think, in the announcement video, um, Craig Tucker and the Tuckers and, and my wife and I just started a new Connect group, and that is for uh, young folks, either with or without children. Uh, we are meeting every Sunday morning at 9.30, and uh, we just started that last week, and we would like to invite you I'd like to invite all the other Connect groups up to introduce yourself, but since I'm the one with the pulpit, I'll just introduce mine, and mine's the best one anyway. No, it's really not. Um, but we would just love to have you involved in a Connect group. I say all that to say you can use that QR code. It'll take you to a place where you can express interest in matters like Connect groups, or maybe you have questions about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, there's a link there that can also help you with that, and so please take advantage of that information. As it was mentioned already, we have been doing, leading up to the holiday season, kind of a series of more topical messages in nature. Typically, we are expositional, preaching through a particular book of the Bible, but we have been taking the last few weeks to look at a few topics and some things that I think are important for us as a church to stop and think about. And uh, two weeks ago, we started this series with uh, the topic of worship, and we discussed worship here at Grace, and then last week we studied instruction, and we looked at the importance of instruction, and today, as Pastor Wes mentioned, we're going to be talking about the issue of fellowship within the local body of Christ. I hope that as we study through this this morning that um, I will stimulate your thinking so that you understand the issue of Christian fellowship prayerfully a little bit more accurately than we sometimes use this word in understanding what fellowship means and how do we accomplish this as a local congregation. Um, in actually preparation for the Connect group that I've already shamelessly promoted for you this morning is I was reading an article about the issue that this, it's a secular writer, this person was not a Christian, they were writing about the issue of the lack of commitment that we find in very many aspects of our, of our, of our culture, not just within the church, but within our culture in general. And this writer, his last name is Glass, and Mr. Glass used many illustrations of where we lack commitment. One of them was in uh, commitment to marriage, not just to people who are already married, but people that are yet seeking to get married. And you could apply this principle that he highlighted to churches as well, is that very often in our world of 
information overload, we can begin to be paralyzed by making a decision because we fear that if I commit to this particular person, for instance, to marry, somebody better might come along tomorrow. Or if I make this job, take this job offer, and I move to this city, and I do this, I may get a better job offer the next day. Or if I choose this church, a new one might start tomorrow that's better than this one. That church over there does this, and I like that better, but that church does that better, and so we just bounce around from church to church to church to church to church until we're spinning around with our, our heads are so confused. We're just spinning in cycles, circles, trying to find this perfect local expression of the church. That's why a number of years ago, the book Stop Dating the Church was so popular, this idea that we never get around to this commitment when it comes to church. Now, what does that have to do with fellowship? Well, it has everything to do with the topic of fellowship, and I would argue that behind this consumerism ideology of looking for the perfect place to worship and this perfect place to be a part of a church family is really an outplaying of a false worship of a false trinity. The false trinity is a worship of the trinity of me, myself, and I. That what I am after is not necessarily to know other believers. I'm not necessarily after to be known by other believers. I'm after what I want, the trinity of me, myself, and I. What do I want? What do I want to gain from a church or from a particular organization? We are a people that are very interesting in so many regards, and we subconsciously grade everything. Everything in our minds, we begin to grade and we make decisions based upon the grades that we place upon somebody. We have some guests with us this morning that are here for the very first time, and I would never do this to them publicly. They can relax. But imagine if I started asking them one by one to give us grades on what they have learned about our ministry so far, and they started standing up, and maybe we got a couple of A's thrown in there, and some of us who struggle with striving for perfect grades all the time, would say, hey, that's great, we got A's. What if we got the score of a couple of F's? What if we as a church started hearing that there are areas in our ministry that we would receive the grade of F? How would we feel? Well, there's two areas I hope we're getting an F. Number one, I hope we are getting an F when it comes to friendliness. That when a guest, for instance, walks into our facility for the very first time, are they greeted? Are they treated like a guest? Are they welcomed into our midst? Is there an F for friendliness? But more importantly, that we're going to study and talk about this morning, there's another area that I would argue is even more important than getting an F for friendliness, and that is we need an F in fellowship. How are we as a body, those of you that are committed, those of you that have been at this ministry for a long period of time, what grade would you give us when it comes to the grade that you would give us for fellowship? Now, you may not have a full understanding of what that means just yet, and hopefully we can explain that um, a little bit this morning, but there are places that we go, for instance, If you stop by a grocery store, I am not particularly worried about having fellowship with the people behind me. I'm not really thinking about that. 
I am thinking about friendliness. I'm thinking about whether or not this person is going to greet me with a smile and whether or not they're going to greet me kindly or whether or not they're going to be, you know, rude or something like that. But I'm not really worried about having fellowship with the people in line behind me. And yet when people come to a church, I think about it this way, friendliness may get them to come back, but it's fellowship that keeps people connected to the local body of Christ, and it keeps them in a context in which they can begin to grow and change and become more like Christ. I read an article in preparation for this morning that found this. The study found that 96% of unhappy customers never officially complain to a manager about somebody being rude or somebody being unfriendly. Put that in a local church context. So 96% of people may have an experience where they are treated rudely or they're treated unkindly in our church. 96% of people are never going to call me and let me know. They're probably never going to say anything to someone on the way out. However, 90% of those people who are in the business world treated unfairly or unkindly, 90% of them will go on and never return back to that place again. They won't come back. Think about it. Is there a restaurant in town that you had horrible service one time and you've never gone back to that place? Is there other places of business that you have gone and you had one interaction with someone that was not friendly? How many of us don't go back to that place? Now, it gets even a little bit more problematic is that most importantly, the unhappy individuals will go on and tell a minimum of nine people how miserable the experience was. This study went on to say that 13% of those people will tell at least 20 people about their negative reaction. So we have to understand that while we want to talk this morning about fellowship, it doesn't negate the reality that we need to be friendly. And I don't think any church particularly goes out and seeks to be unfriendly. I don't believe that. But it might be that our friendliness, again, predominantly talking about our relationship to guests, that our friendliness sometimes as long-term members, we define friendliness even incorrectly. Here's how friendliness is often defined in a church. Members are friendly to each other. Members are friendly to the people that they know. Members are friendly to the people they like. Members are friendly to the people who are just like them. The problem is these descriptions are indicative of a click. That's a click. That's what clicks do. You can watch it in our school. You can watch groups of people that they don't talk to this group and they don't talk to that group because I like this group better and I don't like that group. And we have to be very careful that we think about this idea of friendliness that we don't define it as I just stay with the people. Oh, yeah, I've been here for 50 years. We're a very friendly church. How many guests have you talked to in the last 50 years? Well, none. We have guests that come here? Really? I didn't know they existed. I mean, we can sit. I have an advantage over all of you. I can sit and I can see sometimes who the guests are, who the first time people are. And I can sit and I can stand here and I can watch them get up and walk out and no one speaks to them. No one. And so we've talked about this before, that sometimes when a guest is near you and you don't want to embarrass yourself and you don't want to do the proverbial, hey, how are you? Is this your first time? And they say, I've been here for 25 years. 
I get it. You're, you're afraid to do that. You can either A, laugh at yourself, or two, word your question better. I don't think I've met you before. My name is Jay. My name is whatever your name is. You can use mine too if you want. And use an alias. You can do that. That's totally fine. But friendliness is part of it. We can fake friendliness. I can fake being nice. Your grocery store clerk can fake being friendly. But you can't fake fellowship. Because the biblical idea is not simply that we are friendly to one another. There is something much deeper When it comes to a local congregation, it's not just about being friendly, it is about having fellowship. So let's take a little bit of time and define this word, and then we will, in the end, apply it. Well, let's start in the English language. That's what most of us speak here this morning. Let's just start with defining the English word of fellowship. It can be defined as this, a friendly relationship, a companionship. For example, a father and a son. It can be defined as a community of interest. It can be defined as communion. Dictionary.com actually said it this way, communion as members of the same church. That's interesting. Merriam-Webster Dictionary, to me, comes up with the best English definition that comes closest to what I think the biblical idea of fellowship is, and they define it, the first definition, as a community of interest, activity, feeling. Well, my response to that is you can have fellowship over all kinds of activities, but that's not Christian fellowship. It can be a company, according to Merriam-Webster, a company of equals or friends, but here's the definition that comes the closest to what I think we're going to see bared out in Scripture of what it means to have Christian fellowship. It is, according to Merriam-Webster, the quality or state of being friendly in meaningful communication for building trust and friendship. Excuse me, trust and fellowship. I love it. Let me read it again. The quality or state of being friendly in meaningful communication. Let me define that. Beyond it's cloudy outside. Beyond it's going to rain tomorrow. Beyond that your 401k went up yesterday. Good for you. Beyond all that. Meaningful communication. Why? For building trust and building fellowship. Now, these ideas, I think, play out very well when we come to this biblical perspective of friendship and fellowship. I was thinking about the ministry of Jesus, for instance. He's always the master model, apparently. He's more than a model. He's God's son. He's God in the flesh. He is our redeemer. I understand that. But when we look at his ministry, we think about how he functioned. Jesus had fellowship with the masses. In other words, there were lots of people that followed him around, and he had some level of interaction with them. Oftentimes, it was similar to me teaching and preaching to some of you that maybe I've never met before. It was very, um, it was on a very mass scale. But then there was the crowds. These were the, one, the ones that sort of followed him around a little bit more. There were the followers, those that were a little bit more committed. And then there was the disciples. And by that, I don't mean the 12. I mean the disciples, those that were committed. They were following him. They had interaction with him. They knew him personally. And then there was the 12 that he interacted with 
in a very deep and meaningful way. Within the 12, there was the three. And within the three, there was the one. Now, my question for you is, how far down that ladder are you in our church? Do you just think it's okay to just meet with the masses and come in and sit in my pew, say nothing, talk to no one, get up and walk out? Or is there a sense in which Christian fellowship is getting to know people, warts and all, problems and all, life-on-life ministry, making this connecting, connecting connection, there it is, through friendship and moving into this aspect of fellowship. You know, I was reading an article that was saying that many times churches, large churches, for instance, are labeled as unfriendly. My response to that is it might very well be the opposite. There may be small groups of people that are so connected with one another that they can't imagine going to another church. And that's contagious. That then people begin to congregate together and, hey, come to my Bible study. You got to meet this group of people. And then that group begins to grow and they reach other people. It's much more grassroots in a sense than we sometimes think that it is. The largest church, and sometimes, by the way, that's connected to, well, it's all about the pastor. It's all about his personality. It's all about, and I say that's insane. Here's the reality is that the biggest church we've ever been in, for instance, was 1,200 people. And I happened to know the pastor. We actually became loosely friends, and I connected with him. But I guarantee you, he, I didn't see him every day. He didn't come by my house every day. He didn't do certain things that maybe sometimes we think of pastors doing because the reality was he couldn't. But there were people in the church that connected us to that body. Does that make sense? It's a collective, it's a collective uh, proposition. It's not just resting on one person. It's not just resting on the pastor or the pastoral staff. This is something that takes place throughout the congregation. Now, with all that being said, we are going to look at a couple of texts this morning. Um, find First John chapter 1 with me today. We're going to look at a couple of Greek words. We define fellowship in English. And I think the Merriam-Webster Dictionary did a pretty good job defining that. Friendship for the purpose of developing meaningful communication to develop trust and to develop fellowship. Well, what does fellowship look like according to the New Testament? I'm going to read a couple of verses for you, three to be exact, and then we will look at a particular Greek word, not bogged down in the weeds of it, but I want to introduce you to a Greek word that comes up in the English Bible that is translated in various and sundry ways, and I'll highlight a few of those as well. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse number 6. John says, if we say we have fellowship with him, him being Jesus. So we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. You're a liar. Okay, you're lying and you do not practice the truth. So fellowship with Christ leads me to the place that I am living out a life that is characteristic of living in the light, living by the gospel, obeying God's word. But notice the next verse. He says, but if we walk in the light... 
If you're walking in obedience to Scripture and you are walking in obedience to God's commandments, we have fellowship with who? What does it say? One another. That we then have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's a beautiful picture. Maybe you're not too excited about it yet. Maybe I can help you become excited about it. The word fellowship in this context comes from the Greek word koinonia, okay? And again, the Greek word's not important other than to understand the text was originally written in the language of Greek, which in many ways is a much more exact language than English. Koinonia means, or koinonia, however you want to pronounce it, means fellowship, community, joint participation to share which one has in anything, to participate in fellowship. Now, here's a scary word that koinonia means. You ready? Intimacy. Intimacy. It's talking about a relationship that has depth to it. We always say it this way. We say it here at Grace. We're going to have a church fellowship. What does that mean? It means we're going to sit across the table from somebody for an hour, eat food, and go home. That's what it means. After the service, we get up, we break up, and we stand out in the lobby for 10 minutes. Wow, that was good fellowship, was it? Is that what this word is talking about? Casual conversation over a meal? Casual conversation in the lobby? Part of it, sure. But this word koinonia goes significantly deeper than that. And notice, it talk, it's, John tells us, as he talks to us about the fact that first of all, what makes Christian fellowship possible is our common connection, our common connection with Christ. That's what makes it possible. That's what sets Christian fellowship apart from any other fellowship that you can have with an unbeliever because if they don't have Christ, you can't have this kind of intimacy, this kind of connection, this kind of Christian fellowship with an unbeliever. It's impossible. You can't experience that. Those of us that have been out of the, out of the country a few times, and I, I've, been, I've had the privilege of being in multiple countries. Uh, I've been in countries where I don't speak the language, not one word of it. But what's curious about it is you walk into a church and you have an instant connection with them. Instantaneous. Why? Because we're family. Because we are, as we talked last week, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. There may be differences culturally. There may be some differences different elements in their service. There may be some different parts to it. However, there is a commonality of message Jesus Christ saves those who believe, those who repent of their sin, and those who believe on him for redemption. He saves them from their sin. There is a commonality of message, but there is a commonality of heavenly father. That this then, according to John and according to Paul, who uses this word word abundantly, that this fellowship happens Primarily, it's possible because of our common relationship with Christ. Fellowship, again, means joint ownership. It means partnership. It means community. It means participating in something. 
Notice, participating in something means you don't sit and watch it happen. It doesn't mean you hope it happens. It means you participate in it. I am not a fan, never have been a fan of participation trophies. Not a fan. You either win or you lose. The good old days when there was winners and losers. But I am willing to offer a participation trophy to those who participate in ministry. Because it's not about winning and losing. It's about participating. It's about fellowship. That is beyond, how was your bacon this morning? That's beyond, do you want cream in that and sugar? Do you want a muffin with that? Uh, I guess I'm thinking, do you want fries with that? It's not that. It's how's your life? How's your kids? Where can I pray for you? Uh, pray I get a raise. That's not what I asked. How can I pray for you? What is in the depths of your soul right now that you are struggling with that you need prayer about? That's intimacy. That's fellowship. Most of us, when those scary words come up, we run the other way. We don't want to be known like that. And yet in the context of John, there was this common eternal life in Christ. And John is emphasizing not only the fact of fellowship, but the enjoyment of this fellowship. Fellowship with God is dependent on one's reception of the word. Then in verses 6 and 7, he says that living in the darkness makes fellowship with God impossible. By the way, this living is in a present tense verb. It means this is a constant living. And there's two positive consequences of this that John gives us. Living in the light is to share fellowship with God's people. Let me say something boldly to you. People who cut themselves off from fellowship with other Christians cannot have right fellowship with God. Pastor Jay, I don't believe that. That's fine. You're welcome to disagree. But I'm telling you, as I understand 1 John, is that if I have close fellowship with God, the natural outworking of that is fellowship with God's people, with God's church, with God's family. And John says that if we are then neglecting, as the writer of Hebrews even talks about this, if we are neglecting to love the brethren, if we are neglecting to fellowship with the body of Christ, and according to John, you are not living out your redemption. There's a second consequence that John gives to us. He says that it is the blood of Christ that keeps purifying us, cleanses us, But what is also present is that we are walking in the light, that there is this forgiveness of sin as we are having fellowship with God and and obeying Him. And so John uses this word, koinonia. But I want you to look at another context in which it occurs, and that's found in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at a couple of verses here, and then I'm going to read a string of them, string of verses, and then we're going to apply it. Acts chapter 2, if you are familiar with the book of Acts, it's written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. These two volumes were written really next to each other to one man by the name of Theophilus. They're separated in our English Bible uh, by the book of John, but they were actually written together. 
And Luke is talking to us in Acts chapter 2, which is the beginning of the church. This is where the church began. The church didn't exist until Acts chapter 2. And in these early days of church life, notice what it says in Acts 2 verse 42. And they devoted themselves, devoted themselves. They committed themselves to what? To their favorite hobby? Maybe, if they enjoy apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over them, all over the amazing church building that they built. Nope. All came over them, every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this isn't communism. It's not an implementation of a political system. That's not what it's talking about. It is talking about, however, that there was this commitment among the believers to the apostles' teaching, but there was also this devotion to one another, that when someone had a need, when something came up, they were willing to personally sacrifice to care for another person within the body. So they were concentrating their efforts on the apostles' teaching, instruction, which we talked about last week, but they also were devoting themselves to fellowship within the body. He gives us a couple of very particular illustrations. He says that they were given to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread. Now, that's an interesting concept. It's arguably talking about a couple of different things, I would suggest. For one, it is talking about what would become the Lord's Supper, that there was a commonality when they met together for the Lord's Supper, that they would break bread and they would enjoy this fellowship around the Lord's table, this remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ. I think that's part of it. I also would argue that part of what they did was they enjoyed meals together. They enjoyed life together. They went through the process of, of enjoying one another's lives and getting to know one another personally. But he also says that they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, if there is ever a message that could get everybody to respond, it's probably a message on prayer. As one person said on a podcast I listened to this week, prayer is a topic we like to talk about, but so few of us do. And our prayers so often are simply superficial. I don't think they were praying for superficial matters. I would suggest that this body, this original body, knew enough about one another that when they walked down the hallway and they saw one another in town and they said, hey, I'm praying for you in that area that you asked me to pray for, I'm praying for you, that there was this common understanding that it wasn't that you don't get a hangnail today. That there was prayer for one another, that they were devoted to it. It was something that they were committed to. And in order to pray for one another, they had to actually know one another. 
Notice that they went to the temple to worship together. They had glad and sincere hearts. They were not trying to impress anyone. They were simply enjoying one another's fellowship. It was one of their main objectives as an early church. Now, I want to read to you a few other verses of Scripture and draw this even in a bigger... I think you probably... I haven't said anything that shocks you yet. But listen to how this Greek word koinonia is used elsewhere in other passages. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians 8.4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You say, oh, I didn't hear fellowship in there. Well, you did if you're reading from the King James. It says, uh, praying for us with entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. It's koinonia, taking part in what? Financially giving to saints, financially supporting their needs. Galatians 2.9, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to them, they gave the right hand of fellowship, koinonia, to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they be circumcised. Philippians 1.5, for our fellowship in the gospel from this day until now. Philippians 2.1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. I read from the ESV participation there, you guessed it, is the word koinonia, the word fellowship. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, koinonia, that I may have fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. We don't like that one. We don't enjoy that. I mean, think back to the first century church when they were in Acts chapter 2 and in the decades that would soon follow after Acts chapter 2, they had something very real in common. They were persecuted. They were being put to death. They were being ostracized. They were experiencing tremendous persecution. And the way they saw it, as the Apostle Paul said, that they were worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ. And yet in our culture of comfort, we don't particularly like that form of fellowship. As soon as the relationship gets difficult, as soon as the problems begin to creep in, we are generally looking for the exit. There's another Greek word that I just want to introduce you to. It's the word metoke. It also means sharing, communion, fellowship. Listen to 2 Corinthians 6.14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship, metoke, has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion, koinonia, hath light with darkness. This fellowship is beyond casual conversation over coffee and donuts. Casual conversation can certainly contribute to fellowship, but it falls way short, woefully short of fellowship standards as are presented to us in Scripture. So by way of application then, what does this mean for us? What does fellowship in the New Testament actually look like? Well, my prayer for us, if we could ever earn these two Fs, friendly and fellowship, is that we become more like Velcro than Teflon. 
people stick here. Not because we're the perfect church in town, not because we do everything right, but because there's some aspects of ministry that people are longing for. I, I read an article recently that the United Kingdom, um, in the relatively near past, started a minister of loneliness because loneliness has become such a problem in the United Kingdom. They've given a government position to it. And yet when people come into our church, they want to know and they want to be known. Well, what are they looking for? What does this koinonia look like? Well, number one, it looks like relationship. That in the New Testament, this common relationship with Christ is what makes fellowship possible. And the idea of earthly fellowship is based on our common knowledge of Christ. And Acts 2 Verse 42, the early church was not simply devoting itself to activities, but they were devoting themselves to a relationship. They were also, secondly, they were involved in a partnership. That Koinonia and Metacos share together, have the sense of a partnership. We think about partnerships very often in business, right? We think, I'm going to go into business with this person. He is going to be my partner, and we are going to work together. We have this particular goal in mind. Well, the picture of this word Koinonia is that we are a spiritual partnership for the purpose of gospel Ministry. We say this all the time, and I don't mean it tritely, but we say it often. We have a missionary come, and they are a missionary in Romania, for instance, where Elijah Saratow is. And we think about the Stevensons who are in Paris, France. And we think about the Highfields in South Africa and the Rudolphs in South Africa. And we could go through our entire list of missionaries, and we say this, that we are partners with them in the gospel. And that's, that's true. We partner with them through supporting them financially. We are partnering with them through the prayers that we offer for them. But we are partners for what? We are partners for the cause of Christ. And so partnership, I've never owned a business. I don't want to own a business. I have no desire to own a business. However, I've always lived and thought this way, that if I'm starting a partnership with somebody, the last thing I want is somebody like me. That partnership doesn't mean we're identical. It doesn't mean we're the same. In fact, the New Testament says that the partnership in the, in the local church should be like a human body. We are all fulfilling our different roles, our different responsibilities for the common purpose of the gospel. Seeing people come to Christ, seeing people maturing in their faith. But this goes even deeper than that. It's not just about relationship. It's not just about partnership. It is also about companionship. Now, I would argue and suggest that I define marriage, by the way, as a covenant of companionship. That's what Malachi chapter 2 defines marriage as. It is a covenant, a commitment of companionship. This idea of koinonia means that with a church family, there is a covenant of companionship among the body of Christ, that there is a companionship within the body. And then finally, I would suggest, as we looked at some of the verses rather quickly, is that this includes stewardship, not just of our money, but stewardships of our talents and the things that God has blessed us with. Koinonia can mean communion, fellowship, and shared partnership, contributing, participating in the work of ministry. Romans 12, 13, contribute from koinonia to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. 
Romans 15, 26, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution, koinonia, for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And I could read on and I won't, but there's other verses of scripture that capture this picture of relationship, companionship, partnership, and stewardship. Let me read for you one final text and then we'll conclude. This is in regard to the Corinthian church. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 1 through 4. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that is given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Taking part, you guessed it, koinonia. The fellowship in relief of the saints. Paul says that we, they were begging to help. You're broke. You don't have a dime. We want to help. You don't have any money. We want to help. Now, I thought, apply that just to money. Imagine Pastor Jay, I just don't have enough ministry opportunities. Where can I participate? What can I do? That's fellowship. Fellowship is participation. It's sharing in the needs of others. It's praying for one another. Yes, it is communicating with one another. It is getting to know the deepest struggles that rest in all of our souls. Forgive the football illustration, but it's Sunday. I'll use one. I love watching football. I enjoy it. I played it as a kid. I love it. Here's why. On any given moment, when people always say, well, yeah, football is just a bunch of guys knocking each other over, and it's much more than that. It's that too, which is really personally why I really enjoy it, but each person has an assignment that they are given. And if a person doesn't fulfill their assignment, the play will fail. There's a play in football called an extra point. It seems simple enough. One guy snaps the ball, means he kind of throws it between his legs. Another guy catches it. He plants it on the ground, holds it with his finger, and the next guy kicks it through the uprights, the field goal thing. I've seen kickers who are not known for their aggressiveness on the football field get in the face of their holder on the sidelines because they don't hold the ball correctly. Imagine if the guy snapping the ball snaps it over the other guy's head and it can't happen. What if they don't block? Every person has an assignment. Every person in this body of Christ has an assignment. Where has God gifted you? Where has he given you passion? What has he called you to do? Participate. Be part of the team. Now, here's another trick that I learned very quickly playing football. It was summer. It was hot. We had two-a-day practices. I was a junior in high school. I won't get into the weeds of the positions and all that stuff, but I played on the offensive line. I was a guard. And the guy next to me kept running the play wrong. And we did the play again and again and again and again. This was back in the days, by the way, that water was considered for the week. And so we ran the play, and the coach would tell the kid, his name was Tony, still remember him, 
but tell Tony, this is what you're supposed to do. And Tony couldn't do it. Well, I lost it. I grabbed Tony right here. And I said, run the play right, man. Coach blew the whistle. <laughs> Mr. Knowles, did anyone make you a coach on this football team? There was more colorful words thrown in that I can't say anywhere, not even, especially not in church. Who made you in charge of him? You knew your responsibility. And stop worrying about his. We'd be well to all learn that lesson. Learn your responsibility. Do your responsibility. I'll do mine. And let's do it together. For the purpose of the common goal of fellowship in Christ and fellowship with one another. Fellowship within the body isn't just talking after church. It's living life together with a common relationship with Christ and the common purpose of bringing glory to the name of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the time to talk about this topic, this subject. And Lord, it's even deeper than what we were able to talk about in just one message. And yet it is clear throughout the entire New Testament that fellowship is an important part of a church, church family. And it's not just, it's not just flippant. It's not just casual. It's deeper than that. It's experiencing life together, the ups and the downs. As we sang a little while ago, we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's part of body life. And my prayer for Grace Baptist Church is that we become more and more like the images that we see in the New Testament. That we are building relationships. We are developing companionships and partnerships in ministry and being good stewards of what you have given to us. And Lord, may we be a place that people long to be where people find hope in this hopeless world, where they find comfort in their pain, and where they find wisdom in their foolishness. Lord, may we be that place, that salt and light to this community and empower us to do it because we can't do it in our own strength and that we would do it together for the purpose of bringing glory to your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna end today with singing a song of uh, response and I would always invite you to respond as the to come here, that was my fault. If you want to come and pray, there you are. Um, here at the end, you're certainly welcome uh, to do that. If you want to pray where you are, that's certainly fine too. I'll be at the front. If you have questions about salvation or questions about anything you heard today, I would be glad to ask, answer those for you. Pastor Wes. My heart is filled with thankfulness. We sang it earlier in our service. I think it's a great way for us to end the service uh, this Thanksgiving week. Let's stand as we sing, My heart is filled with thankfulness. Let's sing that first verse. My heart is filled with thankfulness to Him who bore my pain, who of my disgrace and gave me life again, who crushed my curse of Have a great week and a great Thanksgiving.